Once again, it is Black Clock Audio Tales. We are in our final week of Edgar Allan Poe in the final week of January. Ooh. Check out our schedule in the show notes to find out what next month will be for Black Clock Audio Tales and People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Also check out Articulate Warbling with Zach Ferguson and also Dave's Corner of the Universe and Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans, which will be coming out by the end of this month. So, hey, check out that, wait for that, look for that. Here we go, Edgar Allan Poe, Volume 5 of Collected Works of Edgar Allan Poe, The Raven. This episode is brought to you by bunnyslippers.com. Keep your feet warm, don't get cold. Bunny slippers, dino sound slippers, s'more slippers, sports slippers, sci-fi, fantasy, cute critters, all kinds of cool stuff. And don't forget about found item clothing, cool shirts from your favorite cult films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. You want to dress like Booger? You want to dress like Styles from Teen Wolf and wear a t-shirt that says, what are you looking at? Dino's? You can do that. Found item clothing. And remember, check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and pgttcm.com. Look for us, pgttcm.com, Black Clock Audio Tales, and here you go with Edgar Allan Poe. All right, let's start. Recording by Chris Cartwright Old English Poetry by Edgar Allan Poe A Commentary on The Book of Gems Edited by S. C. Hall It should not be doubted that at least one-third of the affection with which we regard the elder poets of Great Britain should be attributed to what is, in itself, a thing apart from poetry. We mean to the simple love of the antique, and that, again, a third of even the proper poetic sentiment inspired by their writings should be ascribed to a fact which, while it has strict connection with poetry in the abstract, and with the old British poems themselves, should not be looked upon as a merit appertaining to the authors of the poems. Almost every devout admirer of the old bards, if demanded his opinion of their productions, would mention vaguely yet with perfect sincerity, a sense of dreamy, wild, indefinite, and he would perhaps say indefinable delight. On being required to point out the source of this so shadowy pleasure, he would be apt to speak of the quaint in phraseology and in general handling. This quaintness is, in fact, a very powerful adjunct to ideality, but in the case in question, it arises independently of the author's will, and is altogether apart from his intention. Words and their rhythm have varied. Verses which affect us today with a vivid delight, and which delight in many instances may be traced to the one source, quaintness, must have worn in the days of their construction a very commonplace air. This is of course no argument against the poems now, we mean it only as against the poet's view. There is a growing desire to overrate them. 
the old English muse was frank, guileless, sincere, and, although very learned, still learned without art. No general error evinces a more thorough confusion of ideas than the error of supposing Dunn and Cowley metaphysical, in the sense wherein Wordsworth and Coleridge are so. With the two former, ethics were the end, with the two latter, the means. The poet of the creation wished, by highly artificial verse, to inculcate what he supposed to be moral truth. The poet of the ancient mariner, to infuse the poetic sentiment through channels suggested by analysis. The one finished by complete failure what he commenced in the grossest misconception. The other, by a path which could not possibly lead him astray, arrived at a triumph which is not the less glorious because hidden from the profane eyes of the multitude. But in this view, even the metaphysical verse of Cowley is but evidence of the simplicity and single-heartedness of the man. And he was in this but a type of his school, for we may as well designate in this way the entire class of writers whose poems are bound up in the volume before us, and throughout all of whom there runs a very perceptible general character. They used little art in composition. Their writing sprang immediately from the soul, and partook intensely of that soul's nature. Nor is it difficult to perceive the tendency of this abandon, to elevate immeasurably all the energies of mind, but, again, so to mingle the greatest possible fire, force, delicacy, and all good things, with the lowest possible bathos, bullness, and imbecility, as to render it not a matter of doubt that the average results of mind in such a school will be found inferior to those results in one, ceteris paribus, more artificial. We cannot bring ourselves to believe that the selections of the Book of Gems are such as will impart to a poetical reader the clearest possible idea of the beauty of the school. But if the intention had been merely to show the school's character, the attempt might have been considered successful in the highest degree. There are long passages now before us of the most despicable trash, with no merit whatever beyond that of their antiquity. The criticisms of the editor do not particularly please us. His enthusiasm is too general and too vivid not to be false. His opinion, for example, of Sir Henry Wotton's Verses on the Queen of Bohemia, that there are few finer things in our language, is untenable and absurd. In such lines we can perceive not one of those higher attributes of poesy which belonged to her in all circumstances and throughout all time. Here, everything is art, nakedly or but awkwardly concealed. No prepossession for the mere antique, and in this case we can imagine no other prepossession, should induce us to dignify with the sacred name of poetry a series such as this, of elaborate and threadbare compliments, stitched apparently together without fancy, without plausibility, and without even an attempt at adaptation. Speaking of poesy, the author says, By the murmur of a spring, 
or the least boughs rustling, by a daisy whose leaves spread, shut when Titan goes to bed, or a shady bush or tree, she could more infuse in me than all nature's beauties can in some other wiser man. By her help I also now make this churlish place allow, something that may sweeten gladness in the very gall of sadness. The dull loneness, the black shade, that these hanging vaults have made, the strange music of the waves beating on these hollow caves, this black den which rocks emboss, overgrown with eldest moss, the rude portals that give light more to terror than delight, this my chamber of neglect, walled about with disrespect, from all these and this dull air, a fit object for despair. She hath taught me, by her might, to draw comfort and delight. But these lines, however good, do not bear with them much of the general character of the English antique. Something more of this will be found in Corbett's Farewell to the Fairies. We copy a portion of Marvell's Maiden Lamenting for Her Fawn, which we prefer, not only as a specimen of the elder poets, but in itself as a beautiful poem, abounding in pathos, exquisitely delicate imagination, and truthfulness to anything of its species. It is a wondrous thing how fleet t'was on those little silver feet, with what a pretty skipping grace it oft would challenge me the race, and went had left me far away, t'would stay and run again and stay, for it was nimbler much than hinds, and trod as if on the four winds. I have a garden of my own, but so with roses overgrown, and lilies that you would it guess to be a little wilderness. And all the springtime of the year it only loved to be there, among the beds of lilies I have sought it oft where it should lie, yet could not, till itself would rise, find it, although before mine eyes. For in the flaxen lily's shade it like a bank of lilies laid, Upon the roses it would feed, until its lips even seemed to bleed. And then to me t'would boldly trip, and print those roses on my lip. But all its chief delight was still with roses thus itself to fill, and its pure virgin limbs to fold in whitest sheets of lilies cold. Had it lived long, it would have been lilies without, roses within. How truthful an air of lamentations hangs here on every syllable. It pervades all. It comes over the sweet melody of the words, over the gentleness and grace which we fancy in the little maiden herself, even over the half-playful, half-petulant air with which she lingers on the beauties and good qualities of her favourite, like the cool shadow of a summer cloud over a bed of lilies and violets, and all sweet flowers. The whole is redolent with poetry of a very lofty order. Every line is an idea conveying either the beauty and playfulness of the fawn, or the artlessness of the maiden, or her love, or her admiration, or her grief, or the fragrance and warmth and appropriateness 
of the little nest-like bed of lilies and roses, which the fawn devoured as it lay upon them, and could scarcely be distinguished from them by the once happy little damsel who went to seek her pet with an arch and rosy smile on her face. Consider the great variety of truthful and delicate thought in the few lines we have quoted, the wonder of the little maiden at the fleetness of her favourite, the little silver feet, the fawn challenging his mistress to a race with a pretty skipping grace running on before, and then, with head turned back, awaiting her approach only to fly from it again. Can we not distinctly perceive all these things? How exceedingly vigorous, too, is the line, and trod as if on the four winds. A vigour apparent only when we keep in mind the artless character of the speaker, and the four feet of the favourite, one for each wind. Then consider the garden of my own, so overgrown, entangled with roses and lilies, as to be a little wilderness, the fawn loving to be there, and there only, the maiden seeking it where it should lie, and not being able to distinguish it from the flowers until itself would rise, the lying among the lilies, like a bank of lilies, the loving to fill itself with roses, and its pure virgin limbs to fold in whitest sheets of lilies cold. And these things being its chief delights, and then the preeminent beauty and naturalness of the concluding lines, whose very hyperbole only renders them more true to nature when we consider the innocence, the artlessness, the enthusiasm, the passionate girl, and more passionate admiration of the bereaved child. Had it lived long, it would have been lilies without, roses within. End of section 12 Preface Edgar Allan Poe These trifles are collected and republished chiefly with a view to their redemption from the many improvements to which they have been subjected while going at random the rounds of the press. I am naturally anxious that what I have written should circulate as I wrote it, if it circulate at all. In defence of my own taste, nevertheless, it is incumbent upon me to say that I think nothing in this volume of much value to the public, or very creditable to myself. Events not to be controlled have prevented me from making at any time any serious effort in what, under happier circumstances, would have been the field of my choice. With me, poetry has been not a purpose, but a passion, and the passions should be held in reverence. They must not, they cannot, at will be excited, with an eye to the paltry compensations, or the more paltry commendations, of mankind. Edgar Allan Poe, 1845 End of section 13 Read by Bob Neufeld The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe Once upon a midnight dreary, 
while I pondered, weak and weary, over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, suddenly there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door. Only this, and nothing more. Ah, distinctly, I remember, it was in the bleak December, and each separate dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly I wished the morrow, vainly I had sought to borrow from my books surcease of sorrow. Sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore nameless here forevermore and the silken sad uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before so that now to still the beating of my heart i stood repeating tis some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door some late visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door this it is and nothing more Presently my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. Sir, said I, or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore. But the fact is I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door. Darkness there, and nothing more deep into that darkness peering long i stood there wondering fearing doubting dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before but the silence was unbroken and the darkness gave no token and the only word there spoken was the whispered word lenore this i whispered and an echo murmured back the word lenore merely this and nothing more back into the chamber turning all my soul within me burning soon i heard again a tapping somewhat louder than before surely said i surely that is something at my window lattice let me see then what thereat is and this mystery explore let my heart be still a moment and this mystery explore tis the wind and nothing more open here i flung the shutter when with many a flirt and flutter in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore not the least obeisance made he not an instant stopped or stayed he but with mien of lord or lady perched above my chamber door perched upon a bust of pallas just above my chamber door perched and sat and nothing more then this ebony bird beguiling my sad fancy into smiling by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore though thy crest be shorn and shaven thou i said art sure no craven ghastly grim and ancient raven wandering from the nightly shore tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's plutonian shore quoth the raven 
nevermore. Much I marvelled this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door, bird or beast upon the sculptured bust above his chamber door, with such name as nevermore. But the raven, sitting lonely on the placid bust, spoke only that one word, as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing farther then he uttered, not a feather then he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered, other friends have flown before, on the morrow he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, Nevermore. Startled at the stillness broken by reply so aptly spoken, Doubtless, said I, what it utters is its only stock and store, caught from some unhappy master, whom unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster, till his songs one burden bore till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden bore of never, never more. But the raven still beguiling all my sad soul into smiling, straight I wheeled a cushioned seat in front of bird and bust and door. Then, upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking fancy unto fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore meant in croaking nevermore. This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl, whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er but whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er she shall oppress ah nevermore then methought the air grew denser perfumed from an unseen censer swung by angels whose faint footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor wretch i cried thy god hath lent thee by these angels he has sent thee respite Respite and nepenthe from thy memories of Lenore. Quaff, oh, quaff this kind nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, Desolate yet, all undaunted, on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted, tell me truly, I implore, is there, is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore. Quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said i thing of evil prophet still if bird or devil by that heaven that bends above us by that god we both adore tell this soul with sorrow laden if within the distant aden 
it shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels name lenore clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name lenore quoth the raven nevermore be that word our sign of parting bird or fiend i shrieked upstarting get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutonian shore leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy soul hath spoken leave my loneliness unbroken quit the bust above the door take thy beak from out my heart and take thy form from off my door quoth the raven nevermore and the raven never flitting still is sitting still is sitting on the pallid bust of pallas just above my chamber door and his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming and the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor and my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted nevermore End of section 14《Red by Bob Newfeld The Bells by Edgar Allan Poe Hear the sledges with the bells, silver bells, what a world of merriment their melody foretells. How they tinkle, tinkle, tinkle in the icy air of night, while the stars that oversprinkle all the heavens seem to twinkle with a crystalline delight, keeping time, time, time in a sort of runic rhyme to the tintinnabulation that so musically wells from the bells, 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 from the jingling and the tingling of the bells. Hear the mellow wedding bells, golden bells, what a world of happiness their harmony foretells. Through the balmy air of night how they ring out their delight. From the molten golden notes, and all in tune, what a liquid ditty floats to the turtle-dove that listens while she gloats on the moon. Oh, from out the sounding cells what a gush of euphony voluminously wells how it swells how it dwells on the future how it tells of the rapture that impels to the swinging and the ringing of the bells 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 of the bells 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 to the rhyming and the chiming of the bells hear the loud alarm bells brazen bells what tale of terror now their turbulency tells in the startled ear of night how they scream out their affright too much horrified to speak they can only shriek shriek out of tune in a clamorous appealing to the mercy of the fire in a mad expostulation with the deaf and frantic fire leaping higher 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 with a desperate desire and a resolute endeavor now now to sit or never by the side of the pale-faced moon oh the bells 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 what a tale their terror tells of despair how they clang and clash and roar 
what a horror they outpour on the bosom of the palpitating air yet the ear it fully knows by the twanging and the clanging how the danger ebbs and flows yet the ear distinctly tells in the jangling and the wrangling how the danger sinks or swells by the sinking or the swelling in the anger of the bells of the bells of the bells 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 and the clamour and the clangour of the bells hear the tolling of the bells iron bells what a world of solemn thought their monody compels in the silence of the night how we shiver with affright at the melancholy meaning of their tone for every sound that floats from the rust within their throats is a groan and the people ah the people they that dwell up in the steeple all alone and who tolling 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 in that muffled monotone feel a glory in so rolling on the human heart a stone they are neither man nor woman they are neither brute nor human they are ghouls and their king it is who tolls and he rolls 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 a paean from the bells and his merry bosom swells with the paean of the bells and he dances and he yells keeping time 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 in a sort of runic rhyme to the paean of the bells of the bells keeping time 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 in a sort of runic rhyme to the throbbing of the bells of the bells 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 to the sobbing of the bells keeping time 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 as he knells 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 in a happy runic rhyme to the rolling of the bells to the tolling of the bells of the bells 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 to the moaning and the groaning of the bells end of section 15 by edgar allan poe the skies they were ashen and sober the leaves they were crisped and sere the leaves they were withering and sere it was night in the lonesome october of my most immemorial year it was hard by the dim lake of auber in the misty mid-region of weir it was down by the dank tarn of auber in the ghoul-haunted woodland of weir here once through an alley titanic of cyprus i roamed with my soul of cyprus with psyche my soul these were days when my heart was volcanic as the scoriac rivers that roll as the lavas that restlessly roll their sulphurous currents down yarnik and the ultimate climbs of the pole that groan as they roll down mount yarnik in the realms of the boreal pole our talk had been serious and sober but our thoughts they were palsied and seer our memories were treacherous and seer for we knew not the month was october and we marked not the night of the year ah night of all nights in the year 
We noted not the dim lake of Orba, though once we had journeyed down here, remembered not the dank tarn of Orba, nor the ghoul-haunted woodland of Weir. And now, as the night was senescent, and star-dials pointed to morn, as the sun-dials hinted of morn, at the end of our path a liquescent and nebulous luster was born, out of which a miraculous crescent arose with a duplicate horn, Astartes' bediamond crescent, distinct with its duplicate horn. And I said, She is warmer than Dian, she rolls through an ether of sighs, she revels in a region of sighs. She has seen that the tears are not dry on these cheeks, where the worm never dies, and has come past the stars of the lion to point us the path to the skies, to the Lithian peace of the skies, come up in despite of the lion to shine on us with her bright eyes, come up through the lair of the lion with love in her luminous eyes. But Psyche, uplifting her finger, said, Sadly this star I mistrust, her pallor I strangely mistrust. O oh, hasten, O oh, let us not linger, O oh, fly, let us fly, for we must. In terror she spoke, letting sink her wings till they trailed in the dust. In agony sobbed, letting sink her plumes till they trailed in the dust, till they sorrowfully trailed in the dust. I replied, This is nothing but dreaming. Let us on by this tremulous light. Let us bathe in this crystalline light. Its sibyllic splendor is beaming with hope and in beauty tonight. See, it flickers up the sky through the night. Ah, we safely may trust to its gleaming and be sure it will lead us aright. We safely may trust to a gleaming that cannot but guide us aright, since it flickers up to heaven through the night. Thus I pacified Psyche and kissed her, and tempted her out of her gloom, and conquered her scruples and gloom, and we passed to the end of a vista, but were stopped by the door of a tomb, by the door of a legended tomb. And I said, What is written, sweet sister, on the door of this legended tomb? She replied, Ulalum, Ulalum, tis the vault of thy lost Ulalum. Then my heart, it grew ashen and sober, as the leaves that were crisped and sear, as the leaves that were withering and sear, and I cried, it was surely October, on this very night of last year, that I journeyed, I journeyed down here, that I brought a dread burden down here, on this night of all nights in the year. Ah, oh, what demon has tempted me here? Well, I know now this dim lake of Orber, this misty mid-region of Weir, well, I know now this dank tarn of Orba, this ghoul-haunted woodland of Weir. End of section 16. Recorded by Joseph Finkberg. Recording by Larry Wilson. To Helen, 
by Edgar Allan Poe. I saw thee once, once only, years ago. I must not say how many, but not many. It was a July midnight, and from out a full-orbed moon, that like thine own soul soaring, sought a precipitate pathway up through the heaven. There fell a silvery, silken veil of light, with quietude and sultriness and slumber, upon the upturned phases of a thousand roses that grew in an enchanted garden, where no wind dared to stir, unless on tiptoe, fell on the upturned faces of these roses that gave out in return for the love light their odorous souls in an ecstatic death, fell on the upturned faces of these roses that smiled and died in this parterre, enchanted by thee and by the poetry of thy presence. Clad in white upon a violet bank, I saw thee half reclining, while the moon fell on the upturned faces of the roses, and on thine own upturned, alas, in sorrow. Was it not fate that on this July midnight, was it not fate whose name is also sorrow, that bade me pause before that garden gate to breathe the incense of those slumbering roses? No footsteps stirred, the hated world and slept save only thee and me. O oh, heaven, O oh, God! How my heart beats in coupling these two words, save only thee and me. I paused, I looked, and in an instant all things disappeared. Ah, bear in mind, this garden was enchanted. The pearly luster of the moon went out, the mossy banks and the meandering paths the happy flowers and the repining trees were seen no more. The very roses' odors died in the arms of the adoring heirs. All, all expired save thee, save less than thou. Save only the divine light in thine eyes, save but the soul in thine uplifted eyes. I saw but them, they were the world to me. I saw but them, saw only them for hours, saw only them until the moon went down, what wild heart history seemed to be in Britain. Upon those crystalline celestial spheres, how dark a woe, yet how sublime a hope, how silently serene a sea of pride, how daring an ambition, yet how deep, how fathomless a capacity for love. But now, at length, dear Diane sank from sight into a western couch of thundercloud, and thou, a ghost amid the entombing trees, didst glide away. Only thine eyes remained. They would not go. They never yet have gone. Lighting my lonely pathway home at night, they have not left me as my hopes have since. They follow me, they lead me through the years, they are my ministers, yet I their slave. Their office is to illumine and enkindle, my duty to be saved by their bright light, and purified in their electric fire, and sanctified in their Elysian fire. 
they fill my soul with beauty, which is hope, and are far up in heaven, the stars I kneel to in the sad, silent watches of my night, while even in the meridian glare of day, I see them still, two sweetly scintillant Venuses, unextinguished by the sun. End of section 17. Read by Bob Neufeld. Annabelle Lee by Edgar Allan Poe. It was many and many a year ago, in a kingdom by the sea, that a maiden lived whom you may know by the name of Annabelle Lee. And this maiden, she lived with no other thought than to love and be loved by me. I was a child, and she was a child, in this kingdom by the sea, but we loved with a love that was more than love, I and my Annabelle Lee, with a love that the winged seraphs of heaven coveted her and me. And this was the reason that, long ago, in this kingdom by the sea, a wind blew out of a cloud by night chilling my Annabelle Lee, so that her high-born kinsman came and bore her away from me to shut her up in a sepulchre in this kingdom by the sea. The angels, not half so happy in heaven, went envying her and me. Yes, that was the reason, as all men know in this kingdom by the sea, that the wind came out of the cloud chilling and killing my Annabelle Lee. But our love, it was stronger by far than the love of those who were older than we, of many far wiser than we, and neither the angels in heaven above nor the demons down under the sea can ever dissever my soul from the soul of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. For the moon never beams without bringing me dreams of the beautiful Annabelle Lee, and the stars never rise but I see the bright eyes of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. And so, all the night tide, I lie down by the side of my darling, my darling, my life and my bride in her sepulchre there by the sea in her tomb by the side of the sea end of section 18 reading by kathleen naples a valentine by edgar allan poe for her this rhyme is penned whose luminous eyes shall find her own sweet name that nestling lies upon the page enwrapped from every reader search narrowly the lines they hold a treasure divine a talisman an amulet that must be worn at heart search well the measure the words the syllables do not forget the trivialest point or you may lose your labor and yet there is in this no gordian knot which one might not undo with a saber if one could merely comprehend the plot. In written upon the leaf were now our peering eyes scintillating soul, 
there lie Purdue, three eloquent words oft uttered in the hearing of poets, by poets, as the name is a poet's too. Its letters, although naturally lying, like the knight Pinto Mentes, Ferdinando, still form a synonym for truth cease trying. You will not read the riddle, though you do the best you can do. End of section 19. Recording by Kathleen Naples. An Enigma by Edgar Allan Poe. Seldom we find, says Solomon Don Dunce, half an idea in the profoundest sonnet. Through all the flimsy things we see at once, as easily as through a Naples bonnet, trash of all trash, how can a lady don it? Yet heavier far than your Petrarchan stuff, owl downy nonsense that the faintest puff twirls into trunk paper the while you con it. And veritably, Sol is right enough. The general Tuckermanities are errant bubbles, ephemeral and so transparent. But this is now, you may depend upon it, stable, opaque, immortal, all by dint of the dear names that lie concealed within it. End of section 20 My Mother by Edgar Allan Poe Because I feel that, in the heavens above, the angels whispering to one another can find, among their burning terms of love, none so devotional as that of mother. Therefore, by that dear name I long have called you, you who are more than mother unto me, and fill my heart of hearts where death installed you, in setting my Virginia's spirit free. My mother, my own mother who died early, was but the mother of myself, but you are mother to the one I loved so dearly, and thus are dearer than the mother I knew, by that infinity with which my wife was dearer to my soul than its soul life. Note, the above was addressed to the poet's mother-in-law, Mrs. Clem. End of section 21. Recording by Larry Wilson For Annie by Edgar Allan Poe Thank heaven the crisis, the danger is past, and the lingering illness is over at last, and the fever called living is conquered at last. Sadly, I know I'm shorn of my strength, and no muscle I move as I lie at full length, but no matter, I feel I am better at length. And I rest so composedly now in my bed that any beholder might fancy me dead, might start at beholding me, thinking me dead. The moaning and groaning, the sighing and the sobbing are quieted now. With that horrible throbbing at heart, ah, oh, that horrible, horrible throbbing. The sickness, the nausea, the pitiless pain have ceased with the fever that maddened my brain with the fever called living that burned in my brain. And oh, of all tortures, that torture, the worst has abated, the terrible torture of thirst for the naphthalene river of passion accursed. I have drank of a water that quenches all thirst. End of section 22.
of a water that flows with a lullaby sound from a spring but a very few feet underground from a cavern not very far down underground and ah let it never be foolishly said that my room it is gloomy and narrow my bed for man never slept in a different bed and to sleep you must slumber in just such a bed my tantalized spirit here blandly reposes forgetting or never regretting its roses its old agitations of myrtles and roses for now while so quietly lying it fancies a holier odor about it of pansies a rosemary odor commingled with pansies with rue and the beautiful puritan pansies and so it lies happily bathing in many a dream of the truth and the beauty of annie drowned in a bath of the tresses of annie she tenderly kissed me she fondly caressed and then i fell gently to sleep on her breast deeply to sleep from the heaven of her breast when the light was extinguished she covered me warm and she prayed to the angels to keep me from harm to the queen of angels to shield me from harm and i lie so composedly now in my bed knowing her love that you fancy me dead and i rest so contentedly now in my bed with her love at my breast that you fancy me dead that you shudder to look at me thinking me dead but my heart it is brighter than all the many stars in the sky for it sparkles with annie it glows with the light of the love of my annie with the thought of the light of the eyes of my annie end of section 22 by von stapel to f by edgar allan poe beloved amid the earnest woes that crowd around my earthly path drear path alas where grows not even one lonely rose my soul at least a solace hath in dreams of thee and therein knows an eden of bland repose and thus thy memory is to me like some enchanted far-off isle in some tumultuous sea, some ocean throbbing far and free with storms, but where meanwhile serenest skies continually just over that one bright island smile. End of section 23 To Francis S. Osgood by Edgar Allan Poe Thou wouldst be loved? Then let thy heart from its present pathway part not. Being everything which now thou art, be nothing which thou art not. So with the world thy gentle ways, thy grace, thy more than beauty, shall be an endless theme of praise, and love a simple duty. End of section 24 El Dorado by Edgar Allan Poe Gaily bedight a gallant knight, in sunshine and in shadow, had journeyed long, singing a song in search of El Dorado. But he grew old, this knight so bold, and o'er his heart a shadow fell, as he found no spot of ground that looked like El Dorado. And as his strength failed him at length, he met a pilgrim shadow, 
Shadow, he said, where can it be, this land of El Dorado? Over the mountains of the moon, down the valley of the shadow, ride, boldly ride, the shade replied, if you seek for El Dorado. End of section 25「I dwelt alone in a world of moan, and my soul was a stagnant tide, till the fair and gentle Eulali became my blushing bride, till the yellow-haired young Eulali became my smiling bride. Ah, less, less bright the stars of the night than the eyes of the radiant girl, and never a flake that the vapor can make with the moon tints of purple and pearl can vie with the modest Eulali's most unregarded curl can compare with the bright-eyed Eulali's most humble and careless curl. Now doubt, now pain, come never again, for her soul gives me sigh for sigh, and all day long shines bright and strong a start within the sky, while ever to her dear Eulali upturns her matron eye, while ever to her young Eulali upturns her violet eye. End of section 26. Recording by Richie Franklin. Salt Lake City, Utah. A Dream Within a Dream by Edgar Allan Poe Take this kiss upon the brow, and, in parting from you now, thus much let me avow, you are not wrong, who deem that my days have been a dream, yet if hope has flown away in a night or in a day, in a vision or in none, is it therefore the less gone? All that we see or seem is but a dream within a dream. I stand amid the roar of a surf-tormented shore, and I hold within my hand grains of the golden sand. How few, yet how they creep through my fingers to the deep, while I weep, while I weep. O oh God, can I not grasp them with a tighter clasp? O oh God, can I not save one from the pitiless wave? Is all that we see or seem but a dream within a dream? End of section 27. Sing by Titus E. Garnett. To Marie Louise Show. Part 1 by Edgar Allan Poe. Of all who hail thy presence as the morning, of all to whom thy absence is the night, the blotting utterly from out high heaven the sacred sun, of all who, weeping, bless thee hourly for hope, for life, ah, above all for the resurrection of deep buried faith in truth, in virtue, in humanity, of all who on despair's unhallowed bed lying down to die have suddenly arisen at thy soft murmured words let there be light at the soft murmured words that were fulfilled in the seraphic glancing of thine eyes of all who owe thee most whose gratitude nearest resembles worship oh remember the truth the most fervently devoted and think that these weak lines are written by him by him who as he pens them thrills to think his spirit is communing with an angels end of section 28 recording by titus e garnett i titus e garnett 
to Marie Louise Show. Part 2 by Edgar Allan Poe. Not long ago, the writer of these lines in the mad pride of intellectuality maintained the power of words, denied that ever a thought arose within the human brain beyond the utterance of the human tongue. And now, as if in mockery of that boast, two words, two foreign softest syllables, Italian tones made only to be murmured by angels dreaming in the moonlit dew that hang like chains of pearls on Hermon Hill, have stirred from out of the abyss of his heart, unthought like thoughts that in the souls of thoughts, richer, far wider, far diviner visions, that even the seraph harper Israfel, who has the sweetest voice of all God's creatures, could hope to utter. And I, my spells are broken, the pen falls powerless from my shivering hand, with thy dear name as text, though bitten by thee, I cannot write, I cannot speak or think, at last I cannot feel, for tis not feeling, this standing motionless upon the golden threshold of the wide open gate of dreams, gazing in trance adown the gorgeous vistas, and thrilling as I see upon the right, upon the left, and all the way along amid purple vapors far away to where the prospects terminate thee only. End of section 29 Recording by Titus E. Garnett The City in the Sea by Edgar Allan Poe Lo, death has reared himself a throne in a strange city lying alone far down within the dim west, where the good and the bad, and the worst and the best, have gone to their eternal rest. Their shrines and palaces and towers, time-eaten towers that tremble not, resemble nothing that is ours. Around, by lifting winds forgot, resignedly beneath the sky, the melancholy waters lie. No rays from the holy heaven come down on the long night-time of that sound. But light from out the lurid sea streams up the turrets silently, gleams up the pinnacles far and free, up domes, up spires, up kingly halls, up fanes, up Babylon-like walls, up shadowy, long-forgotten bowers of sculptured ivy, and stone flowers, up many and many a marvelous shrine whose wreathed friezes intertwine the vile, the violet, and the vine. Resignedly beneath the sky the melancholy waters lie. So blend the turrets and shadows there that all seems pendulous in air, while from a proud tower in the town Death looks gigantically down. There open fanes and gaping graves Yawn level with the luminous waves. But not the riches there that lie In each idol's diamond eye, Not the gaily jeweled dead Tempt the waters from their bed, For no ripples curl, alas, Along 
that wilderness of glass. No swellings tell that winds may be upon some far-off, happier sea. No heavings hint that winds have been on seas less hideously serene. But lo, a stir is in the air. The wave, there is a movement there, as if the towers had thrown aside in slightly sinking the dull tide, as if their tops had feebly given a void within the filmy heaven. The waves have now a redder glow. The hours are breathing faint and low. And when amid no earthly moans, down, down that town shall settle hence. Hell, rising from a thousand thrones, shall do it reverence. End of section 30 Brett Hirsch The Sleeper by a Growlin Poe At midnight in the month of June, I stand beneath the mystic moon. An opiate vapor, dewy, dim, exhales from outer golden rim, and, softly dripping drop by drop, upon the quiet mountain top, steals drowsily and musically into the universal valley. Rosemary nods upon the grave, the lily lolls upon the wave. Wrapping the fog about its breast, the ruin molders into rest. Looking like Leite, sea, the lake, a conscious slumber seems to take, and would not for the world awake. All beauty sleeps, and lo, where lies, her easement open to the skies, Irene, with her destinies. O oh, lady bright, can it be right, this window open to the night? The wanton airs from the treetop, laughingly through the lattice drop, the bodiless airs a wizard rout, flit through thy chamber in and out, and wave the curtain canopy so fitfully, so fearfully, above the closed and fringed lid, neath which thy slumbering soul lies hid, that o'er the floor and down the wall, like ghosts the shadows rise and fall. O lady dear, hast thou no fear? Why and what art thou dreaming here? Surely thou art come, her far-off seas. A wonder to these garden trees. Strange is thy pallor, strange thy dress, strange above all thy length of tress, and this all-solemn silentness. The lady sleeps, O oh, may her sleep, which is enduring, so be deep. Heaven have her in its sacred keep, this chamber changed for one more holy. This bed for one more melancholy. I pray to God that she may lie forever with unopened eye, while the dim sheeted ghosts go by. My love, she sleeps. Oh, may her sleep, as it is lasting, so be deep. Soft may the worms about her creep, far in the forest dim and old. For her may some tall vault unfold some vault that oft hath flung its black and winged panels fluttering back, triumphant o'er the crested palls of her grand family funerals, some sepulchre 
remote, alone, Against whose portal she hath thrown, In childhood, many an idle stone, Some tomb from out whose sounding door She ne'er shall force an echo more, Thrilling to think, poor child of sin, It was the dead who groaned within. End of section 31「The Bridal Ballad » by Edgar Allan Poe The ring is on my hand, and the wreath is on my brow. Satins and jewels grand are all at my command, and I am happy now. And my Lord, he loves me well. But when first he breathed his vow, I felt my bosom swell, for the words rang as a knell, and the voice seemed his who fell in the battle down the dell, and who is happy now. But he spoke to reassure me, and he kissed my pallid brow, while a reverie came o'er me, and to the churchyard bore me, and I sighed to him before me, thinking him dead delore me. Oh, I am happy now! And thus the words were spoken, and this the plighted vow, and though my faith be broken, and though my heart be broken, behold the golden token that proves me happy now. Would God I could awaken, for I dream I know not how, and my soul is sorely shaken, lest an evil step be taken, lest the dead who is forsaken may not be happy now. End of section 32 Read by Bob Neufeld. Lenore by Edgar Allan Poe Ah, broken is the golden bowl, the spirit flown forever. Let the bell toll, a saintly soul floats on the Stygian river. And Guy de Ver, hast thou no tear, weep now or never more, see? On yon drear and rigid bier low lies thy love, Lenore. Come, let the burial rite be read, the funeral song be sung, an anthem for the queenliest dead that ever died so young, a dirge for her the doubly dead in that she died so young. Wretches, ye loved her for her wealth and hated her for her pride, and when she fell in the feeble health, ye blessed her that she died. How shall the ritual then be read? The requiem, how be sung by you, by yours the evil eye, by yours the slanderous tongue, that did to death the innocent that died, and died so young? Peccavimus, but rave not thus, and let a Sabbath song go up to God so solemnly, the dead may feel so wrong. The sweet Lenore hath gone before, with hope that flew beside, leaving thee wild for the dear child that should have been thy bride. For her, the fair and debonair, that now so lonely lies, the life upon her yellow hair, but not within her eyes, the life still there upon her hair, the death upon her eyes. 
avance to-night my heart is light no dirge will i upraise but waft the angel on her flight with a paean of old days let no bell toll lest her sweet soul amid its hallowed mirth should catch the note as it doth float up from the damned earth to friends above from fiends below the indignant ghost is riven from hell unto a higher state far up within the heaven from grief and groan to a golden throne beside the king of heaven End of section 33 To One in Paradise by Edgar Allan Poe Thou wast all that to me, love, for which my soul did pine, A green isle in the sea, love, a fountain and a shrine, All wreathed with fairy fruits and flowers, and all the flowers were mine. Ah, dream too bright to last, ah, starry hope that didst arise, but to be overcast, a voice from out the future cries on on but o'er the past dim gulf my spirit hovering lies mute motionless aghast for alas alas with me the light of life is o'er no more no more no more such language holds the solemn sea to sands upon the shore shall bloom the thunder-blasted tree or the stricken eagle soar all my days are trances and all my nightly dreams are where thy dark eye glances and where thy footstep gleams in what ethereal dances by what eternal streams end of section 34 the coliseum by edgar Allan poe type of the antique rome rich reliquary of lofty contemplation left to time by buried centuries of pomp and power at length, at length, after so many days of weary pilgrimage and burning thirst, thirst for the springs of lore that in thee lie, I kneel, an altered and an humble man, amid thy shadows, and so drink within my very soul thy grandeur, gloom, and glory. Vastness and age, and memories of eld, silence and desolation, and dim night, I feel ye now. I feel ye in your strength, O spells more sure than e'er Juden king taught in the gardens of Gethsemane, O charms more potent than the rapt Chaldee, ever drew down from out the quiet stars. Here, where a hero fell, a column falls. Here, where the mimic eagle glared in gold, a midnight vigil holds the swarthy bat. Here, where the dames of Rome their gilded hair wave to the wind, now wave the reed and thistle. Here, where on golden throne the monarch lolled, glides spectre-like unto his marble home, lit by the wan light, wan light of the horned moon, the swift and silent lizard of the stones. But stay, these walls, these ivy-clad arcades, these mouldering plinths, these sad and blackened shafts, these vague entablatures, this crumbling frieze, these shattered cornices, this wreck, this ruin, these stones, alas, these gray stones, are they all, all of the fame and the colossal left by the corrosive hours to fade in me? Not all, the echoes answer me, not all. Prophetic sounds and loud arise forever from us, and from all ruin unto the wise, 
as melody from Memnon to the sun. We rule the hearts of mightiest men. We rule with a despotic sway all giant minds. We are not impotent, we pallid stones. Not all our power is gone, not all our fame. Not all the magic of our high renown, not all the wonder that encircles us. Not all the mysteries that in us lie, not all the memories that hang upon and cling around about us as a garment, clothing us in a robe of more than glory. End of section 35《The Haunted Palace》by Edgar Allan Poe In the greenest of our valleys, by good angels tenanted, once a fair and stately palace, radiant palace, reared its head. In a monarch thought's dominion it stood there. Never seraph spread a pinion over fabric half so fair. Banners yellow, glorious, golden, on its roof did float and flow. This, all this, was in the olden time long ago, and every gentle air that dallied in that sweet day. Along the ramparts plumed and pallid, the winged odor went away. Wanderers in that happy valley, through two luminous windows, saw spirits moving musically to a lute's well-tuned law, round about a throne where, sitting, Porphyrogene, in state his glory well-befitting, the ruler of the realm was seen. And all with pearl and ruby glowing was the fair palace door, through which came flowing, 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 and sparkling evermore, a troop of echoes whose sweet duty was but to sing, in voices of surpassing beauty, the wit and wisdom of their king. But evil things, in robes of sorrow, assailed the monarch's high estate. Ah, let us mourn, for never sorrow shall dawn upon him desolate, and round about his home the glory that blushed and bloomed is but a dim-remembered story of the old time entombed. And travelers now within that valley, through the red-litten windows see vast forms that move fantastically to a discordant melody, while, lie a ghastly rapid river, through the pale door a hideous throng rush out forever, and laugh, but smile no more. End of section 36. The Conqueror Worm by Edgar Allan Poe. Lo, tis a gala night within the lonesome latter years. An angel throng, bewinged, bedight in veils and drowned in tears, sit in a theater to see a play of hopes and fears, while the orchestra breathes fitfully the music of the spheres. Mimes, in the form of God on high, mutter and mumble low, and hither and thither fly. Mere puppets they, who come and go at the bidding of vast, formless things that shift the scenery to and fro, flapping from out their condor wings invisible woe. That motley drama, oh, be sure it shall not be forgot, with its phantom chased forevermore by a crowd that sees it not. Though a circle that ever returneth in to the self-same spot. And much of madness, and more of sin, and horror the soul of the plot. But see, amid the mimic rout, a crawling shape intrude, 
a blood-red thing that writhes from out the scenic solitude it writhes it writhes with mortal pangs the mimes become its food an angel sob at vermin fangs in human gore imbued out out are the lights out all and over each quivering form the curtain a funeral pall comes down with the rush of a storm and the angels all pallid and wan uprising unveiling affirm the play is the tragedy man and its hero the conqueror worm 1838 end of section 37 Hirsch. silence by edgar Allan poe there are some qualities some incorporate things that have a double life which thus is made a type of that twin entity which springs from matter and light heaven stands solid and shade there is a twofold silence sea and shore body and soul one dwells in lonely places newly with grass o'ergrown some solemn graces some human memories and tearful lore render him terrorless his names no more he is the corporate silence dread him not no power hath he of evil in himself which should some urgent fate untimely lot bring thee to meet his shadow nameless elf that haunteth the lone regions where hath trod no foot of man commend thyself to god end of section 38 by edgar allan poe by a route obscure and lonely haunted by ill angels only where an idolan named knight on a black throne reigns upright i have reached these lands but newly from an ultimate dim thule from a wild weird clime that lieth sublime out of space out of time bottomless vales and boundless floods and chasms and caves and titian woods with forms that no man can discover for the dews that drip all over mountains toppling evermore into seas without a shore seas that restlessly aspire surging unto skies of fire lakes that endlessly outspread their lone waters lone and dead their still waters still and chilly with the snows of the lolling lily but the lakes that thus outspread their lone waters lone and dead their sad waters sad and chilly with the snows of the lolling lily by the mountains near the river murmuring lowly murmuring ever by the gray woods by the swamp where the toad and the newt encamp by the dismal tarns and pools where dwell the ghouls by each spot the most unholy in each nook most melancholy there the traveller meets aghast sheeted memories of the past shrouded forms that start and sigh as they pass the wanderer by white-robed forms of friends long given in agony to earth and heaven for the heart whose woes are legion tis a peaceful soothing region for the spirit that walks in shadow tis oh tis an el dorado but the traveller travelling through it may not dare not openly view it never its mysteries are exposed to the weak human eye unclosed so wills its king who hath forbid the uplifting of the fringed lid and thus the sad soul that here passes 
beholds it but through darkened glasses. By a route obscure and lonely, haunted by ill angels only, where an idolan named Night on a black throne reigns upright, I have wandered home but newly from this ultimate dim Thule. 1844 End of section 39 Recording by Richie Franklin, Salt Lake City, Utah At morn, at noon, a twilight dim, Maria, thou hast heard my hymn. In joy and woe, in good and ill, Mother of God, be with me still. When the hours flew brightly by, And not a cloud obscured the sky, My soul, lest it should truant be, Thy grace did guide to thine and thee. Now when storms of fate o'ercast, Darkly my present and my past, Let my future radiance shine With sweet hopes of thee and thine. End of section 40 by Phil Schempf. To Zante by Edgar Allan Poe. Fair Isle, that from the fairest of all flowers, thy gentlest of all gentle names dost take, how many memories of what radiant hours at sight of thee and thine at once awake, how many scenes of what departed bliss, how many thoughts of what entombed hopes, how many visions of a maiden that is no more, no more upon thy verdant slopes, no more, alas, that magical sad sound transforming all, thy charm shall please no more, thy memory no more, a cursed ground, henceforth I hold thy flowery enameled shore, O hyacinthine isle, O purple zante, Isoa de Or, Fior de Levante. Eighteen thirty seven. End of section 41. Hey everyone, thank you for helping make January a tremendous, wonderful, gigantic month at Black Clock Audio Tales, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Hey, we've got some Ken Height talking about Poe. We've got Ken Height and Adam Scott Glancy talking about Ligor and the Chocho coming up. So check that out. That's going on, uh, should be this week, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. So listen for this audio feed to uh to check that out and remember rate review and subscribe give us five stars wherever you listen let people know about it review us on facebook review us on instagram hey we are officially now on spotify so if you don't like listening to this on your computer you don't like listening to this on your phone and you just want to listen to it through like a speaker or something like that uh, you know, however you use spotify if you're like, man, I wish they were on Spotify. I'd listen to them more often or save it or whatever. And now you can. We're on Spotify. We're also everywhere that you listen to podcasts. So thank you so much for making January gigantic. And we look forward to seeing you in March with the cool stuff. And remember, check the show notes for links and schedules and find out everything that's going on with Badger's Drift Studios, our friends over at Sweat Drenched Press, the gang over at Dave's Underground Goat Shenanigans, and of course me, 
DB Spitzer. Hey, check out my Instagram, PGTTCM. All right, bye.